Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Now, this morning's sermon is part of our Advent sermon series, and this morning it's entitled Love. I really want to thank Erin Herman for her excellent sermon last Sunday on shalom or peace. So thank you, Erin, for that. And again, this morning's sermon will be focused on to us as given love as God has reached out, out to us through Christmas. Now, I do say this almost every time I preach, but only two Gospels share the Christmas story. All four Gospels tell us about Easter. Easter is the point. Only two Gospels mention the Christmas story. The Gospel of Matthew focuses on Joseph's perspective. Next week, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke with joy, and that's Mary's perspective. This week, we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Matthew and the perspective of Joseph. Not only do Matthew and Luke bring us perspectives on Christmas, but Older Testament writers do the same. In the Older Testament, there were prophets that had the perspective of what would come, and they foretold very specifically what God had revealed to them. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, the book of Isaiah writes, the prophet writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Further on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, the Older Testament prophets are looking into the future and they're foretelling of what God will do. By the way, I mentioned this in an earlier service in one of them, but the book of Isaiah is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is extremely important because until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, there were many that taught that the Newer Testament writers had manipulated the book of Isaiah to fit well in the Christmas story. But when the book of Isaiah was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, the entire book of Isaiah is there. It predates the life of Jesus by about 100 years, the text that we have, the scroll we have. And in it, your Bible is basically identical to that scroll. What you read in the book of Isaiah in your Bible is basically identical to the scroll that was found that dates 100 to 150 years before Jesus was born. So what we know is the Older Testament prophets foresaw his birth and spoke of it. And then there were his contemporaries like John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He was Jesus' best friend. And in John 3.16, he writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what we clearly understand is the prophets foretold it. His contemporaries spoke about it that Jesus was born in the world and it was all about God's love being revealed to humankind. 
Again, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pick up a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read seven verses that tells us the perspective of Joseph with the birth of Jesus. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 1. The heading that the translators have inserted in the Bible is Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Here's our reading. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now I want to push this pause button. If you had never heard the Christmas story, if you had never read the Gospel of Luke, you had never read the Gospel of Matthew, what do you think would have been written after this prompt? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. I can promise you none of us would write what Matthew is getting ready to write. None of us. Here's why. Most of us believe that Jesus coming into the world was for the purpose of making the world uncomplicated, without scandal, and everything would be a straight line because of him. But what we discover in the birth story is that God's movement into the world through his son in love is nothing like that. As a matter of fact, if I had to write the story of, the, of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, it would go something similar to this. There's a couple here at City, and they met at City Church. His name's Jeff. I was sitting up next to him in the balcony earlier this morning, and I saw his wife posted something for their anniversary on Facebook about how they met in church, so I asked him to refresh my memory on how it went. So while people were worshiping, I asked him to tell me the story, and it was pretty simple. He was attending City Church. He was single. He was during worship one day, and he looked forward, and he saw long, black, straight hair. And he thought, you know what? Next time we have move and greet, I'm gonna position myself to be right near that head of long, straight black hair. It's a true story. He just told me in the house of God. I'm sure it's true. And so he ended up positioning himself in front of her and uh, he turned around during move and greet and he reached out his hand. He said, my name is Jeff. She told her his name, which he promptly forgot. And uh, they ended up beginning to date and they've been married for 11 years and have two beautiful girls. That's the story that I would write about Jesus being born. It would be straightforward. Mary and Joseph meet in the synagogue. Everything's simple. But what we discover is the birth story of Jesus is anything but that. It's a convoluted, messy, broken story. It really is. The reason why is God came to assimilate with the human race. And he came in the form of a baby. And I don't know how your life, life has been, I don't know how it's been with anyone else in your sphere of relational influence, but what I've discovered is there are almost no straight lines, even with people of faith. Life is difficult, it's messy, and it's complicated, and so is the birth story of Jesus. So the prompt would be, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about, and what we're ready to read next, no one would have written unless it were true. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Imagine her trying to describe that to Joseph. Reading on, but Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her 
to public disgrace. In other words, he was a good guy. He's a good man. He's trying to follow the law of Moses and do the right thing. And then it says, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We're gonna get back to that in just a few moments. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Remember that, God speaks to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Joseph puts feet to his faith. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Love. This is the Sunday of love in the Advent series. What we already know is no one would have written the birth narrative that we just read. No one would have put that down by choice, but it's true. In the story of Matthew, of Joseph, Joseph never says a thing. Mary talks a lot in the Gospel of Luke and even sings a song. Joseph never says a word, but I believe that his life speaks. So we're going to take a quick look at the life of Joseph from the story that we just read. I want you to notice is in verses 18 and 19, the text tells us that Joseph desires to follow the law. Some Bibles translated that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a good person. He was a righteous guy. But he discovers that his fiancee's pregnant. And when he does, he wants to remain faithful to the law. He wants to do what Moses' law commands him to do. But he doesn't just follow the law with his head. He also follows it with his heart. He's a good person. And so what he determines is, is that he will simply divorce her or set her loose. Matthew 1.19 that we just read said, he didn't want to expose her publicly. He was going to do what he was going to do privately. Whenever I read the story in the Newer Testament where a woman is being shamed publicly, if you understand the context, the context of her shaming, it is absolutely bewildering, bewildering that people would do this to a woman. But in John chapter seven and eight, we read a story where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's brought naked into the temple court. She is paraded in front of the people. And then those people who follow the law only with their head and not their heart expose her publicly, all of her guilt and all of her shame, and they bring her to Jesus. And they say to him, Jesus, the law of Moses says she must be stoned. What do you say? And what does Jesus do? Jesus stands with her, not against her. I believe one of the reasons is because Jesus knows the story of Mary being pregnant 
before his dad married her. I believe Jesus heard the story over and over again how Joseph, wanting to do right by the law, still had a heart. So he stood with Mary in the midst of her shame and took it to himself. I believe because of that story, Jesus stands with the woman caught in adultery. And instead of opposing her, he stands with her because that's what his dad did for his mom. Now, if you were to read it in the original Greek, the original Greek does not say he was going to divorce her. The word divorce is not in the original Greek. What it does say is, is that Joseph proposed to secretly send her away. That's what it says. It says nothing of divorce. It says that he proposed secretly to send her away. That send her away is the Greek word apoluo. Apoluo. Apoluo is two Greek words brought together. Apo means away from. And luo or lio means to loose, release, to let go, to discharge or dismiss. So what he had purposed in his heart to do was that he was going to secretly apoluo her. He was going to send her away. The Bible never says where or how. It just says he determined that he was going to secretly send her away so she would not experience public disgrace. As I read this and understood that Greek word, it dawned on me that I have an apoluo story myself. I'm actually the result of an apoluo story. Most of you know that I was adopted. I have two older brothers. The brother older than me, Scott, was adopted as well. My oldest brother, Fred, is natural to my mom and dad. My birth mother got pregnant when she was 15 in high school. She got pregnant. And so what her family did was she was living in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. They sent her to the opposite side of Canada to live with a relative in Vancouver, British Columbia. They sent her across the country. They apoluoed her. They sent her away so that she wouldn't face the shame of her pregnancy. They sent her to the other side of the country and she was taken in by a relative and it was in Vancouver where I was born. Her family apoluoed her. That was Joseph's idea. So my birth mother was sent to the other side of the country. She gave birth to me. And I've asked my mom, my adoptive mom, who I call mom, I asked my mom what the story was. She said it was very simple. Fred was natural to them. They had adopted my brother Scott and they wanted another son. So they put in an application to the Canadian government. My parents were living in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada. It's a little shipping village. So they were living there. My mom got a phone call that a teenage girl was in labor and that she was going to give birth. And so my mom got on a plane with a baby carrier and her driver's license. She flew to Vancouver, she walked into the hospital, she showed them her driver's license and the baby carrier and they handed me to her. And she stuck me in there, she got back on the plane and she flew home. That's how complicated that deal went down. <laughs> but you see, this was Joseph's idea. It was about Apoluo, to send her away because he didn't want to have to be a part of her public shame. But what the text tells us is profound. 
The text tells us that Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, God appears to him. And in the dream, we discover that God calls him to take Mary home. Now, by the end of chapter 2 in the Gospel of Matthew, we need to know that Joseph has a total of four dreams. And the last two have to do with Egypt. What's interesting to take note is in the Older Testament, one of the heroes of faith is a dreamer by the name of Joseph, and he lives in Egypt. There's no doubt whatsoever that Joseph's position in Scripture is a callback to the dreamer Joseph in the Older Testament. And what did that Joseph do? That Joseph in the Older Testament took care of his family. He provided well. He kept them safe, and he protected them. That's what Joseph would do for Jesus. He, too, was a dreamer. But the Scripture tells us also that in that dream, the Lord says to Joseph, he is to name his son Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the Hebrew name Yeshua, which is the English name Joshua. So anyone you know that's named Joshua, they're actually named Jesus. And it means the Lord saves. But I want you to catch this. You've got Joseph the dreamer, and he's now going to be raising a son by the name of Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. Joshua was the one who completed the task of leading the people from slavery to the promised land. Moses gave the law, but was not allowed to enter in. It was Joshua who took the people of God from the law to living in the promised land. That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes us with the law of God and brings us into a place where the fullness of God is made known. Notice as well that the angel or the Lord tells Joseph that this Jesus will save his people, not from oppression, not from the tragedies of life, but he will save his people from sin. And I want you to remember that Jesus' people are good people. Jesus' people are Moses' law-abiding people. Jesus' people, his people, are the Jewish people. Jesus' original call wasn't to the pagans that worshipped idols. His original call were to people who are good people. I want you to remember this that the end of being a Christian is not to be a good person, although you should be. Being a Christian is far more than just being a good person. It's far more. And what we discover is, is that when the Lord speaks to Joseph, he says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What we learn is that Christianity begins with the Holy Spirit working personally in people's hearts and lives. Please know this, that the call to Jesus is one that requires an openness to the work of the Holy Spirit that takes us beyond the natural world. The Christian life is not just about being good or being a good person. The Christian life is far more than that. 
The Christian life is about you and I, women and men, following the leading of the Holy Spirit and in doing so, discovering the fullness of what God has for us in his love. Well, what the text tells us is that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. In other words, he stood with her and stood by her. What the scriptures of Matthew does not tell us, but Luke alludes to, is that her pregnancy is scandalous. When she arrives where Joseph's family lives, she's not given the normal room that she should have been given. She's given a different room. There's no room for her. So what we know is Joseph stands with her in the midst of that scandal, and he commits to making her his wife. And the text goes on to say, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As we close out our time, how do we put feet to our faith with what we've learned from the Matthew story of the birth of Jesus? First of all, we see God's love for the world in Christmas. But what I want you to know is it's real love. There was a period of time where I worshiped in a church that basically taught us that if we had enough faith, our lives again would become uncomplicated. Our lives would be void of any struggle or trouble. Our lives would not have catastrophe. I want you to know this loud and clear, that the birth story, the beginning of the Christian faith teaches something completely different than that. That the, the Christian faith is to be lived in the real world with real challenges where there isn't a straight line in every relationship of love. But know this, that if you're in life and you struggle relationally, Maybe even your love life is complicated. Don't take that to mean that God is not with you. By the way, if she's sitting next to you now, don't look at her and nod in agreement. Next, not only do we see God's love for the world in Christmas, but we recognize our journey will be like this story. If your life has been like mine, where my life hasn't always been a perfect direct line, but at times things get complicated, they get challenging, please know this, that so was the life of Jesus. Here's the other thing. Putting feet to our faith. The Christian life isn't just about being a good person, although we should be. The Christian life is so much more than that. The Christian life is a life that is to be lived with an openness to the supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit that brings us beyond the natural. And it takes us to a place where the Christian life and the Christian story begins. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, I'm gonna ask that you would close your eyes just for a moment. The Christmas story in Matthew is the story of real life. It's the story of how life actually is. 
The Christmas story in Matthew is not the hallmark story. It's the story of human struggle in an oppressive reality and in difficult seasons and times and in difficult ways. But that again should convince us of God's love for us, that the birth story of Jesus is a complicated one. It's got its tensions and its struggles, and the reason why is because so do we. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to experience it fully so that we too could be freed from our sins.